millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in our studio today with uh, another of our one-name guests. We're just going to call him Brother John. Brother John is working among Tibetan Buddhists in the Himalayan region, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means, what that looks like. Brother John, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. It's good to be here. Let's talk about Tibetan Buddhists, because as we have talked before we hit record on this interview, that doesn't just mean ethnic Tibetan people. It's more broad than that. Kind of give us a little picture of the people that you're working among. Yes. If we talk about Tibetan Buddhists, we talk about people that live in the Himalayan region that are following the Tibetan um, stream of Buddhism. So yeah, most of them are Tibetan speakers, but they um, live in different countries in the Himalayan region um, where they speak Tibetan dialects and they follow this traditional form, um, Tibetan traditional form of Buddhism. Um, what in its core can be very much Tibetan shamanism with kind of a layer on Buddhism on top. When I say the word Tibet, in my mind, I picture it, it's controlled by China, you know, borders, the, you, it's not easy to get to. How easy is it for the people from that part of the world? Is there a lot of transit between, say, Nepal and China, Bhutan and China? Is, is there a lot of back and forth across that border or is it really locked down? Um, it's, it's pretty much locked down. There is a little bit of movement, mainly for cargo. There's a few couple tourists that move through. There's a couple businessmen, Chinese businessmen that come through the border. But it is, um, for people, hard to move across borders, mm -hmm. definitely. And, and now, especially when, with COVID right now, it's yeah. <laughs> everything locked. So. Right now, all the borders are hard to move <laughs> them, across. Yeah. When I hear the word Tibetan Buddhist, I think of the Dalai Lama. Is that, like, he is the, the leader, he's the figurehead for all of these people? Um, yes, he is. He would be considered the spiritual um, leader for Tibetan Buddhists. And also even politically, he claims to be still, he, he runs an exile government in Dharamsala, India, and is still seen and sees himself and by many still seen as the political leader um, for them as well. So what would be some of the key teachings of Tibetan Buddhism? And maybe how does it differ from Buddhism that we might see somewhere else in, you know, Japan or Southeast Asia or someplace there? Describe it in very simply, Tibetan Buddhism, it's a mix of traditional conservative Buddhism um, and teachings, Buddhist teachings that made its way up um, many centuries ago into Tibet, mixing it with existing Tibetan shamanistic beliefs, how to control the spirit world, um, how to influence the spirit world, how to do rituals that help the mountain gods um, favor me or not punish me or in any way. And so there was a, 
a Buddhist, um, that Buddhist teaching kind of came into that environment. And there's a lot of mix um, you see between those two. And that's, I think, the uniqueness about Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah, that's how I would describe it. Uh, John, how did... How did God get a hold of you to to take you into missions and take you in specifically to that part of the world? For me, it was the first time um, I was exposed. Um, I think it was an eleven month trip. Um, wow! <laughs> after after finishing school and um, traveling the area and going backpacking in that area, and I think it's just seeing the country and and the uh, people there and. Uh, just this whole region, and coming across people where I started um, sharing that I'm a Christian, where I'm from, and and then people sensing that some of the people I talked to they didn't really had a concept when I talked about what it is, what it who Jesus is, and and just seeing I think that spiritual need and also physical need on many levels that people are struggling with, yeah, made me really want to use the simple things I have and um, education and resources and, and gifts I have to be a blessing and a light in that region. So when you or, or when anyone comes into that part of the world, into a Tibetan Buddhist community and says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, how is that person received? Are, are they seen as a threat? It depends probably on the regions where you go, but you are perceived as a tourist, first of all. In those regions, tourism is um, a way for people to make an income. There's a desire not to cause offense, right? Yes. I mean, so they yes. would never want to offend a tourist because that's their livelihood. Most definitely. And it's it's more than just the livelihood. It also is it's a deep part of their culture to be hospitable and to um, hang out with people for tea and get to know people and invite them. Um, so... There is, I think, a lot of um, yeah, very openness towards um, people coming in. However, once you get to know people and and then trying to get deeper on a um, conversational level or relational level level or um, also spiritual level, there's a lot of curiosity, but it can be superficial openness, and it's something that's really hard to read people's mind. What are they actually thinking? And uh, many would politely say, yes, that sounds very interesting, um, but it's hard to say and judge um, how people perceive it on the inside and how seriously they are considering and, and listening. And, and that is very also depending on the individual you're talking to, obviously. What type of pressure is there for someone from that culture or from that background to change their faith and say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ now too. What's going to happen to that person? Communities are very tightly knit. Um, relatives, uncles, aunts, um, the whole village kind of is related to each other. I think there's a beauty of just seeing communities help each other and be united and be very tightly connected with each other. But with that comes also for people who who then would, for example, in their faith, in their um, religion, would consider the mainly tightly held on to religion, Tibetan Buddhism, maybe as not um, their main form or is are really seriously considering following Jesus from a background like that. Many times for them, it's a step 
out of that um, community and out of that very safe place where they can rely on if a crisis hits. And then even more than that, I think many people do experience clear pressure, social pressure on them, saying that they either are not welcome to come back or there's no place more for them in uh, this community. And yet they say um, for them it's Jesus is worth to be followed, um, even in, in circumstances like that. Amen. But they are, in many ways, they're giving up their future. Is is that fair to say? Like your your safety net, your place in the community, your employment opportunities, your long-term prospects, all of that is going to get worse if you stand up and say, you know what, I'm not a Buddhist anymore, I'm following Jesus. Yeah, a lot of the future security that the community would hold for them um, is risked by those people and is, um, yeah, many times surrendered and, and given up. Are there any particular stories that you can tell that, that kind of illustrate that, that, that show what somebody's gone through to, to follow Christ? Well, there's one story of one of the um, leaders in a community who came to know the Lord in an incredible way. And he um, yeah, shared with me that in the beginning it was very difficult for him, for um, I think also his, there were some immediate family members, I think his parents, um, that also um, made that commitment to follow Jesus. And they were a well-respected family. And he shared, um, struggled a lot in the initial years. The community was very confused too, like how, how to deal with with this new thought within their community, how to accept it, how to reject it. And then any community events um, that would come, any wedding, any funerals, always was a, was a big deal for the community to understand and for, for them as believers, how are they invited? What can they join? What can they not join? Where the culture is so deeply connected to the religious belief and the spiritual um, meaning of the rituals, what rituals can they continue doing in order to honor their relatives, their other community members, and what rituals can they not do anymore. And so, um, yeah, he said, especially in the initial years, it was very difficult. But over, uh, as the years went by, and as they really um, prayed through many of those practical um, decisions, how to live out their faith and how to live and stay also a part of their community, God gave them many creative ways of trying to draw those lines. And the community slowly but surely started to accept that uh, more and more. And now a small fellowship of believers is in, in that community. Amen. Praise the Lord. What I hear you saying, and, and help me be clear about it, we're not necessarily talking about governments. We're not talking about the Chinese government, the Nepali government, the Bhutanese government— we're talking about your village, your family, your relatives before any government has ever said anything. Yeah, I think that's uh, important to understand. And and I mean, also, it's hard for me to say for the whole region, there right. might be are parts <laughs> of the region where um, there's a lot of political um, persecution from the government as well. And but... certainly the, the part of Tibet controlled by China, they obviously don't want the church to grow. They don't want the church to grow anywhere in China. But the first line of pressure and persecution is typically not the government. It's mainly the family and the community around people that um, where, yeah, where the pressure would come from once people think differently. In the evangelism process, 
how do you prepare people to go through that? Because I, I'm sure they know if I make this decision and if I make this public, there's going to be problems. There, there's going to be pressure. How do you try to help them prepare for that? I think, first of all, it's important for people to really understand who God is and who Jesus is and um, what the gospel is and what it means for us to follow him as his disciples. And, and yes, understanding that um, Jesus is calling us with his own words with a great cost, and we should count those costs. And I think just being realistic about that is an important way as people before, before anyone would make a commitment to count those costs. I think an important part would be for me to um, connect them um, with someone who did a step um, from a similar background into faith and to help them understand realistically what it was for them like. And also that also helps them being connected to someone else who went through a similar process um, and has, I think, a lot more insight, insider insight into that that um, as an outsider you don't have. The other thing that does is it, it communicates very clearly. This is not just a Western thing. I, I'm not I'm not bringing you a Western idea or a Western religion. Look, here's somebody who's from the same kind of village you're from. They're also following Jesus. What is the pressure from the governments? We talked about China. Uh, Nepal has an anti-conversion law. They've just made some changes in the last couple of years, even foreigners can now go to prison for this. Where does that government pressure step in after, sort of after or beyond or on top of the family or the village pressure? I would say for a believer, independent what country we're talking about, but there is definitely a freedom of religion in um, several of those countries um, where people from a government's point of view, have the freedom to follow the religion they want to. So they can choose openly and they can change from one to another if they want to. Technically, they could. However, <laughs> um, it is um, a, a little bit more tricky process because it is easy for maybe family around them to make ex ac accusation for people that would be involved in that process or for yeah threatening um, others that would be involved in someone's decision um, to follow Jesus. The creator, the, the resistance and maybe um, the threat is to the community and to the family. And it's a very emotional um, thing, obviously, for the family. A lot of the times, the more resources they have to blame different things and then use maybe government or local government authorities to cause pressures or to cause problems for people that would be a part of that process or, or the believer himself. So am I hearing correctly that typically the government wouldn't get involved directly, but if, if the family members, if the village people said, hey, you need to come and look at this, that's when the government would kind of step in. Yes, yeah, that's how okay. I would describe it. So we talked about the fact that you went on a, a missions trip visiting this part of the world. Now you're involved in a long term. How how did you make that transition from, okay, I want to visit, and okay, I see a need, to okay, I want to give my life to this. I mean, for me, it's uh, also a question of what are we living for? What are we using the the short years of our lives for? And just trying to be yeah, even rational about it, saying yes, I want to use those those short years that we have for 
God's glory. This is the ultimate purpose. And and then for me, I think it was yeah, together with my um, my wife at the time, we got married. And I think for both of us, we really sensed that we want to um, use our lives for his glory in this part of the world. And so that's, I think, how the transition happened for us. Yeah, and then um, it was incredible to see timing where then I could also use some of my um, background in a country where a very specific need at a very specific time came up. What would you say to people who are listening to this who maybe are starting to sense that call? Like, like I want to use my life for something greater than just, you know, the American dream. God's maybe talking to their hearts about, hey, I want you to go, you know, maybe it's the Himalayas, but maybe it's Africa, maybe it's somewhere else. What would you say to that person who's kind of in that thinking about, praying about, decision-making part of the process? God is at work in this world today. He's at work in places where it is hard, um, sometimes in, in ways that is very different maybe from here and um, quite incredible the way God is at work in in some of those really hard places. And for us to have this invitation from him to join him in what he is doing in this world, I think is, it should be considered a privilege. And I think for us to, yeah, to make that decision and then even have yeah, this luxury of having an opportunity to join him in, in the work that he's doing in this world is something that we, yeah, and also seeing where that it's not necessarily us, it's us having to find sometimes where he's at work and then and really asking God, where are you working in this place and how can we join you in that? Rather than coming with our own agendas, what is very easy for us to do in so many <laughs> times. And yeah, allowing him to set the agenda and allowing us to discover and stay on this discovery journey where he's at work and joining him in that. And also being willing to sacrifice um, some of the, I mean, worldly comforts that we have and that we create around us, the safety things, security things. Yeah, I believe in the end of the day, it comes down to the question, is Jesus worthy? And is he worthy of us following him? And as believers, it doesn't matter where we are. Yes, the answer is yes, Jesus is worthy for Amen. us to follow him. Tell us a story of somebody who has, has made that decision, made that decision to say, I'm not going to be a Tibetan Buddhist anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Yeah, one of them recently that has been really encouraging to me was a young guy who was studying in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery for a number of years. And that's a very common practice among the um, Tibetan Buddhist communities where they would send um, one of the sons in their families to a monastery. Now, as the end result of that, they would become a monk or at some point they would just be considered educated and then they would go back home or? People can leave the monastery as well later on. Okay. Um, and so some of them stay very committed to the monastery and they become a monk for many, many years until the end of their lives. But there is a number of people um, that you meet on the streets that have been in the monastery more throughout their school years okay. and then after their school years left the monastery and went back to the village, became just a part of the farming in their village. And So, however, he um, was, was in the monastery at the time and when he returned back to his village, I think it was just for a visit really back 
um, into his village, he found out that a church um, and fellowship of believers started in his village and his family were a part of that. <laughs> uh, many actually in the village um, were a part of that fellowship suddenly. And um, he was curious and asked, you know, more how that happened and what they believe in now. And um, through that also heard about Jesus, uh, heard about the gospel and decided for himself um, to follow Jesus. And now as I um, talked to him, he said that he wants to use um, all the teachings he received in the Tibetan language, in the culture, in the philosophy, in um, religious philosophy behind Tibetan Buddhism and really use that as a way to um, be a blessing and a light and share um, what it means to follow Jesus to people like him and people who are from that background. Wow. And that's very encouraging yeah. for me to hear how God is at work in, in people's lives and like that. how uniquely he's prepared to go places you and I could never go uh, and already speak the language and understand the philosophy. And wow, praise the Lord. John, as we finish up, we always like to equip our listeners to pray. So as we think about somebody in a in a Tibetan village, uh, maybe who's just come to faith or maybe who's never heard, what are some ways that our listeners can pray for God's work in that part of the world? Yeah, I think one way people can pray for is for people in those communities that get chance to hear. So first of all, that they would get the chance to hear about Jesus, who Jesus is in an understandable and relevant way for them. That's a big one. And another one is if they would get a chance to hear about Jesus and who Jesus is, that they would have the even the boldness to really ask the right question and, and really dig into understanding who Jesus is. And then with that, too, if they consider to really um, what it means to follow Jesus, for them the boldness and the, the courage to take that step even if it means for them to really leave that safe place of community um, behind them and um, risking for them to be cast out of their communities, for them to, um, yes, to have that courage and that boldness. And also in the same way, a compassionate love for their own community that is not just making a cut, but really staying, finding ways to stay involved in their communities or even going back after a time into their communities and there are many young believers um, I'm talking to who come from a Tibetan Buddhist background. And and for I think that's a third way we can pray for those young believers um, that have family maybe in, 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 in communities somewhere in the Himalayan mountains or maybe living in the city now through their school, got to know Jesus, for them to, for God to use them and strengthen them in their faith and in their walk with the Lord to go back into their communities to become messengers of who Jesus for their communities. Amen. Is is the Bible available in the Tibetan language? Yes, the okay. Bible is available in the Tibetan language, okay. even as an app form and um, hard copies. Um, okay. And so, yeah, that's an incredible way, I think, nowadays to see how, yeah, through digital ways, uh, I think there are great ways of people having the chance to to have a Bible even on their phone. Absolutely. So we've equipped you to pray for the Himalayan region of the world. We've equipped you to pray for God's work among Tibetan Buddhists. Brother John, thank you for being our guest. Thank you for your ministry and, and for sharing it with us this week. You're welcome. 
Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.